Ryan, CEO of Women's Bean Project. I like things to be in compartments. My sock drawer displays each pair folded into thirds and filed according to color. My spice cabinet is alphabetized. And chaos is fine as long as I can assess the situation, develop a plan, and put things into order relatively quickly. So putting things to order quickly was exactly what I set out to do when I became the CEO of Women's Bean Project in 2003. Women's Bean Project, or the bean as we sometimes call it, is a place where chronically unemployed and impoverished women come for a second chance in life. Women's Bean Project believes that all women have the power to transform their lives through employment. So we hire women who are chronically unemployed. A typical woman we hire hasn't had a job longer than a year in her lifetime. The average age is 39. And so they are convicted felons, recovering addicts, victims of domestic violence. Many were teenage mothers and high school dropouts. But they come to the BEAM Project for a chance to create new lives out of the mess that theirs have become. We were founded in 1989, and the BEAM Project is an anomaly in the business world. We are a business, one that creates and sells bean soup mixes and other food products to stores all across the country. But Tucked Inside is a human services organization designed to provide a safe and accepting work environment where impoverished women can learn the skills required for gainful employment. When I was hired as CEO, the bean faced several daunting challenges. The year before, it struggled through a financial crisis that almost caused it to close. And while the board and an interim director kept the doors open with a variety of emergency measures, including releasing most of the staff, the problems that led to the crisis had not been addressed. And so armed with two science degrees and a 15-year career in business marketing, I felt qualified to tackle those challenges. I decided my focus would be on increasing sales and marketing, boosting production, cutting costs, and raising profits. I could do this, I thought. No problem. I was excited by the potential. And I couldn't have been more naive. What I didn't recognize were the human challenges involved in running a business whose employees are the neediest among us. I hadn't thought about why our employees might not have held the job longer than a year. I had no idea that even if a woman tried with all her might to change her life, there were still powerful forces that pushed back on her attempts to change. The culture I stepped into the BEAM project couldn't have been more different from my own white middle-class suburban upbringing. And I learned that very quickly. During my first week at the Bean Project, in an attempt to learn the business, I was working on the bean soup production line alongside a woman named Felicia. Because we were standing so close, I started asking questions, in part to break the ice and also to become acquainted. So I asked, how did you end up here, Felicia? And we were scooping beans into the bag. When she said, when I was 14, I started selling drugs. It was fast money, easy money. Everyone I knew was using, so I could sell to them and support my son and my little brother. Felicia was 14 when she had her son, while she was also caring for her 10-year-old brother, because her mom was one of Felicia's drug customers. I listened to Felicia, and I thought about what I was doing at 14. I had just started running track, and my 4 by 200 relay team qualified for a national meet in West Virginia. It was going to be my first airplane trip, 
and I was going to be able to go without my parents. My first question that came to my mind that I actually said out loud was, didn't you want your son to grow up in a better environment than you with your mom using and being surrounded by drugs? And now I know that I asked it as though there had been a menu of choices and Felicia had chosen selling drugs over, let's say, going to high school prom or taking AP English. It embarrasses me to think about it now, but this is how I thought back then. I thought people who got in trouble with the law were bad people who made poor choices. And people who committed crimes and took drugs got what they deserved. I remember thinking that if we could catch them and lock them away, our communities would be safer, crime would decline, and drug use would decrease. Now, as somebody who grew up with a lot of opportunity, I believe that anything was possible in America. And so poor people, unweighed teenage moms, high school dropouts were clearly responsible for their own misery because they hadn't taken advantage of the choices available to them. I believe that if we worked hard, society worked with us to help us succeed. I believe that Felicia had consciously chosen one life over another. But, you know, in reality, the only choice Felicia made was for survival. She chose to make the situation better for her based on what she knew. She had one opportunity to make a choice in her life, and she had no one around her to see what selling drugs would lead her to. So I realize now that it was easy for me to think this way because I'd never met any of the people that I, in the abstract, judged so harshly. I was a well-educated but clueless white girl who led from the head, not the heart. I believed that life is manifestation of our choices. Yet conveniently, all of my choices were condoned by my community. I will tell you that my perspective changed the moment I set foot inside the Women's Beam Project and I met the women we employed. I met Selena, whose mom introduced her to cocaine when she was 12 and then kicked her out of the house because she perceived that Selena was competition for boyfriends. Selena landed on the streets and had to fend for herself until when she was 18, she was arrested and incarcerated for drug manufacturing. I also met Waisha, who struggled with PTSD from a street assault and suffered from a debilitating bipolar disorder. I watched firsthand how she cycled from being a delightful, bubbly young woman to someone who couldn't get out of bed when she didn't have the money for her mood-stabilizing medication. And I met Sharice, who was 21 when she was charged with first-degree murder for killing the fiancé who'd been beating her for six years. Eventually, she was convicted of involuntary manslaughter, but she received an extremely harsh 26-year sentence. After serving seven years, the judge released Sharice and asked if she had learned her lesson and sent her to a halfway house, which is where she was living when she worked at the Bean Project. Slowly but steadily, I learned that the circumstances faced by our employees are not because they chose incorrectly, but because they had no role models for employment, or perhaps no one pushing them to stay in school, or no one discouraging them from getting pregnant as teenagers. They were disenfranchised from the community in every sense. And most were victims who had been further victimized by drug sentencing laws, cultural prejudices, and human services systems that dehumanize them even further. I really, in all of this, learned that it's society that holds certain women back. 
But I also learned something far more moving, and that is about the resiliency of the human spirit. I met countless women at the Beam Project who faced and overcame insurmountable odds. They taught me that it is possible to confront and overcome fear and shame and lack of self-worth. I have seen how difficult but necessary it is to stare adversity in the eye. And despite setbacks, because setbacks always occur, a path to a new life can be created. I've seen for myself the value and impact of a woman believing she is worthy of a better life. Newton's third law of motion says that for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. Applied to physics, this means that for every force, there is a reaction that is equal in size but opposite in direction. For the women at the BEAM Project, this means that even as they try to create new lives for themselves, by doing exactly what society asks for them, getting a job, paying taxes, supporting their children, there are still a myriad of forces that conspire to push back against their progress. These opposing forces exist in our biases and prejudices against felons, addicts, and welfare recipients. They exist within the human services system that cut benefits even while a woman is working to create a foundation to decrease her dependence on just those services. The forces that exist within the correction system that create barriers to success and demeaning methods for keeping convicts in line is also a huge force. In truth, society is not entirely to blame because I've also seen women work against themselves. On the brink of success, they self-sabotage through passive-aggressive behavior, relapse, or other choices that return them to prison. Low self-esteem makes it extremely hard for them to believe in their worthiness for employment outside of the BEAN project. And their addictive backgrounds stand in the way of finding healthy, productive strategies for dealing with the challenges they face in life. And families are also a force working against the women. The codependence found in a household that is mired in addiction can undermine even the most committed recovering addict. In a family life where chaos is the norm, the creation of a calm, orderly life is often threatening, but certainly elusive. Women whose parents are addicted don't know what a normal childhood is and often recreate dysfunction in their own families, ranging from poor parenting skills to drug use and criminal behavior. And by the time they come of age, their kids are poised to make the same mistakes, pulling their mothers down with them. The third law has even affected me. As CEO of Women's Beam Project, I lead a system that exerts pressure on these women to change. And in return, opposing forces with, from the women have caused me to change. I have moved from becoming a, what I would say is a hard-hearted, business-focused woman to someone who wants, uh, maybe I should say needs, to know each woman's story. Fundamentally, in ways I could have never imagined, I have changed. Although I didn't know it at the time, I had a lot of prejudices when I walked through the doors of Women's Beam Project. But it was more than that. I had little awareness of those prejudices, how they'd formed, or even why they'd formed. I had never thought about, truly thought about what I believed, because my beliefs had never been challenged. While getting to know the women of the bean, I think it's fair to say that I got to know myself. 
And with this new awareness, I've found compassion and understanding. I've developed an ability to empathize with women on a level I would have never thought possible. I know today that I used to think of the world as black and white, right or wrong, good or bad. Today, I understand there are thousands of gray shades in between. It was one thing to judge women I'd never met. It has been something else entirely to get to know the women one by one, to look into their eyes and feel the pain in their stories. With this awareness, there's no room to judge. I've cried for joy with the women, as proud as any mother of their accomplishments. And I felt deep, deep sympathy for their trials, often driving home at night wondering if there were other ways I could help. I've mourned their losses, hugging my own children while reflecting on the children they've lost. And I've also felt anger and disappointment and sadness when women at the bean make choices that take them backward. When I first meet the women who come to the bean project, I see anger and hurt. I see closed up women who are afraid to imagine anything better for their lives. And yet even so, they arrive at the BEAM project hoping for a chance that maybe this will be the program that finally changes everything. The women who arrive have nothing left to lose and everything to regain. And so I find myself compelled to tell the stories of the women because too often they buy into the notion that society puts in front of them that they're not good enough to be hired by an employer who will care about them or to earn money to finally move off of assistance or to have a life that their kids can be proud of. And when I feel this way, I want to grab the women by their hand, pull them along and show the world the women I've come to know. My hope is that by sharing the stories of the women as I meet them, I will give them a voice. I know that there will always be chronically unemployed women and a system that works against them and opinions and attitudes that undermine their success. But I also hope that Women's Bean Project can help them become empowered to take responsibility for their actions so that we as taxpayers and voters can begin to take responsibility for our own influence on the laws and policies that trap people in some of society's most intractable intergenerational social ills. We all have a story to share and a voice that is meant to be heard, and we want to share yours. For more information and to get involved, visit storiesofinspiringjoy.com. Stories of Inspiring Joy is a production of Seek the Joy Media and created by Sydney Weiss. You can find all episodes on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And if you like the show, hit subscribe, leave us a rating and review, and follow along on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We're creating greater connection and community, one powerful story at a time.